All right. So today we have Tamsin Smith beaming in from San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> and she's going to share with us some beautiful aspects of herself. Uh, she's an amazing visionary and strategist, but in addition, uh, she is an artist, a poet, and an author. Uh, and we're going to talk about her newly released book, uh, Exile, which is fun. And I love, you know, what, the one thing I love about Tamsin is her <laughs> love for words. <laughs> and I absolutely love reading your story writing. <laughs> It's uh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's a type of writing that I really enjoy it takes you there. So um, so welcome here today, Tamsin. And I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to see you, Suzanne. Yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> and as we can see, peeking through the background, we have one of your great works. Uh, what I was really uh, thinking that today could be, you know, you've really utilized this past year and change to create from my perspective, uh, which has been beautiful to see. And then I thought what we could do is dive in a little bit on the power of art and literature and even, because I know you have a love for music too, uh, mm -hmm. that how it can help transform, heal. Uh, we're all coming out of an experience that's still like, I don't know, we're still on a little bit of a tilt-a-wheel ride with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know certain points in time in my life that art especially has been like to go to the galleries and just take in the artist. Um, mm -hmm. And the same with poetry as a way, as a catalyst to uh, help heal, grow, transform, and seed new things. So I wanted to kind of do that as our teaser coming in. Um, for, for you, uh, just being that you have a love for the arts, uh, where would you say that that really uh, deepened during this last little bit here on planet earth? Well, uh, I mean, I think like pretty much everybody else that could shelter, not, not everybody could, you know, and thank God there were people out there that were willing to deliver our groceries and, and things like that. But for me, I, uh, I, I already worked from home, um, but my world became, my small little world became even smaller in a sense. And uh, I, just had even more time to create uh, than normal. And um, creativity being, whether it's painting or writing, something I reach for regardless, and, and usually I'm sort of trying to find more time for that, I all of a sudden ended up with a bounty of, of time. And so, though I didn't have access to my art studio where a lot of my oil paints and canvases sit or sitting waiting for me, uh, what I had at home was uh, paper and acrylic. And I just started a sort of practice. I think one of the things that really helped me and I think other people during this strange time was sort of having a daily routine just because the days did sort of blur together. Yeah. And so I found myself at the end of the day, I would just park over near my window and take a pad of, of the art paper I had and my acrylics. And I would just paint, you know, that corner of my house or that corner of my house or that posse flora and my neighbor's uh, wall. And I would just, I just would create these little scenes of where I was sheltering. And then I would go on I would go on Instagram and sometimes post them, but I would also look at other people taking pictures of mm. 
their garden or the corner of their room or <laughs> something that they'd seen that day. And so an artist is always looking for a prompt. I would start um, reproducing them. And usually I wouldn't tell the person, I would oh. just paint it and then I'd post it on Instagram and tag them. And it was kind of this very fun way of surprising somebody with an unexpected uh, interpretation of the moments of their life and and if somebody wanted the piece I just because it was on paper it was very easy for me to just put it in the mail and send it yeah um I've subsequently figured out a way to affix the paper to board and frame it and now I have some that are part of kind of a sales series but Mm. It was um, it was great, and then writing also just you know more time to do that. So I think it was a way to take the energy that couldn't go into social gatherings or in person business meetings or whatever the other things that I might have been doing with my time. Uh, for me, it was a luxury, and I think for a lot of people, even if they didn't already have a creative process, they found one. Whether that was gardening or cooking. There was a ton of bread baking going <laughs> yes. on. I started seeing embroidery all over people's <laughs> tie-dyeing sweaters. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, I hope for people that kind of pick that up in um, pandemic times, they keep it going because there's, it's just so glorious to be able to make something, just whatever it is, just, yeah. you know, create. Uh Yes. Even so. if it's something you end up eating or <laughs> it's still Absolutely. great expression. Yeah. So well and to your point, I think, you know, we get a, a glimpse in this past moment as how when life is slower, uh, there's more yeah. time to do these things. Even you're bringing me like to Guatemala with all the elaborate textiles and you know, that's someone's purpose during a day is to sit there at the loom and weave that beautiful textile or basket weaving, all those things that we kind of take for granted and want, you know, uh, produced on high demand, large quantities, low price, <laughs> you De know? Definitely. And I think for me, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, going through the closets and cupboards, thinking about what I could put back out into the world that I wasn't using, mostly because I would needed things to do, but also you really become cognizant I think as your world gets really small, really quick of how little you actually need yeah. to, um, you need the essentials and you yep. need the essential workers, but you don't necessarily need um, a lot of the stuff that, that we bring into modern life. Uh, yep. And I have noticed an uptick in people's interest in buying art too, because not only are they, you know, looking at a computer and they yeah. don't necessarily have something on the wall behind them, but yeah. they're also at home more and looking at their own walls and thinking, well, how do I bring beauty into my space and, and kind of curate my nest, um, yeah. feather my nest in a way that feels good as opposed to maybe getting, you know, the next version of the, you know, whatever gadget, <laughs> you know, you thought was so essential last yeah. time or whatever fabulous coat or sweater that you may wear once and, and never again. So right. trending, you know, in the design and architecture world, it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon because we used to have eras of architectural style and design style, meaning yeah. it could be several decades because it wasn't easy to produce things rapidly. And now it's mm -hmm. like they turn turn it very quickly. Maybe we'll slow back down yeah. to the 
more uh, simplistic approach. Slow fashion, <laughs> slow fashion, you know, embroider yeah. some, embroider something you already have instead of buying something new or again, yeah. tie dye it. Like your exactly. slow reading, Suzanne. My slow reading, I was saying. And speaking of that, uh, we have your book here. And, ooh, I can get it in the camera. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this you know, I didn't realize until I got it that this was a creation from your past uh, world, <laughs> maybe your first introduction to the grown-up world. Uh, yeah. And it's so beautiful. I hope you write more novels. Like, I don't know if you have an aspiration to do that, but as I yes. mentioned, for anyone that gets a chance to spend any time with Tamsin, she has a gift for uh, words and syntax and to just create an environment with the words alone is something that I've always enjoyed all my life. I love being drawn into, you know, writing and imagining uh, what's actually going on. So well done as far as I've read. Thank you. I, as I was telling Tanzan earlier, I've been taking up slow reading, meaning I'll only let myself on uh, read like a chapter or a couple chapters <laughs> and then I have to wait till tomorrow so it, you can savor it a little bit more savor it yeah that's good let it linger on the tongue yeah and I think you absorb it a little bit better because you're like oh mm -hmm. what am I looking forward to so for you in this process um did it share with the readers one about the the seed inspiration and concept behind it and then uh how long it took you to do this, sure. it, it arrived, you know, this year uh, that I'm curious. No, it's, uh, yes, it, it was a long, uh, it flapped its wings uh, for <laughs> quite some time before it, it finally landed in, in the, the publishing realm. So this was a novel that I wrote just as I was leaving Washington DC where I, I worked for about six and a half years after grad school, I worked on Capitol Hill. And uh, so got a quick, uh, not, I would not say painless, but got a quick immersion in, you know, the sausage making of, of uh, legislative business and um, uh, uh, whatnot. And I, uh, I, when I started writing the novel, so this was in 1996. I started writing at the end of 1996. Mm. And the story just uh, came to me. I used to walk to work. I lived at the time in um, sort of DuPont Circle, Adams Morgan area, and I would walk to work. And I I'm, love mysteries and thrillers. So I would have whatever book I was reading at the time open as I was walking down the road and then up the mall to my job on Capitol Hill. And I think I just so emblazoned uh, thrillers and mysteries in my head in that time that at a certain point, uh, a story arose in my own head. And I would walk to work and things in the story would happen, characters mm. would appear. And I'd get to the office, I'd quickly write down notes. And then one after I walked back that night, I would type them up and turn them into dialogue and plot. And so Exile is a political thriller and a love story. And it revolves around US-Cuba policy, which was um, uh, a tangled web that I had been working on as a legislative staffer at the time. Uh, the um, 
you know, the, the kind of hardline exile community in Miami that was sort of hell-bent on overturning Fidel Castro and reclaiming their oligarchical possessions, et cetera, et cetera. Slight bias here, but you know, the, this is kind of the milieu yeah. that, that I wanted to cover. Um, and I had been working legislatively on uh, defunding TV Marti, which was this ridiculous um, program that cost $25 million a year and Castro had jammed it from day one. So it was just money mm -hmm. down a rat hole. Uh, but the story unfolded as I was also uh, coming to the decision that I wanted to leave Washington. I ended up you know, giving notice at work, getting rid of all of my stuff, giving up my apartment and moving to San Francisco with, uh, you know, I think two duffel bags and staying on my friend's floor. And I finished the novel pretty much a day or two before I got on the plane to come West. Wow. And so it was this story that, um, you know, came quite quickly and it was fully written down. But by the time I got to San Francisco, I had this whole new world starting. I needed to find a job and a place to live and yeah. was meeting new people. I ended up getting married, having two children, having various jobs, which were very intense and required a lot of travel and a lot of my time. Yeah. And the characters in Exile just sat very much in my heart and in the back of my mind, but I didn't have the time to or I didn't dedicate the time to go back to them and free them and really present them in a way that did them justice. I knew that I knew that the text needed to be edited and uh, you know checked and to make sure it all comported. And um, so when <laughs> COVID came along, uh, I, I really was sort of deliberate about what is it that I can achieve in however long this is going to last that is really going to matter. And almost the first thing that, um, you know, that was the daily thing of the paintings yeah. and reading and writing and such, but you know, this, that the, the characters came back and they said, we're ready now. <laughs> and it was amazing to go back into the story. And I did do a lot of editing. I cut, I hope that for the reader, it's a really quick, clip you get right in you get uh connected to the characters the plot moves along even the structure of the book is very it's in kind of sections that are titled so it's you you really can kind of re you, you know, accomplish a little section in you know a 10 or 15 minute reading and yeah. then you know savor that reread it or just move on to more so i have the one of the bits of feedback i've received is it was such uh, such an easy kind of motivating read. Um, yeah. I don't. I hope not easy because it nothing happened. A lot happens, <laughs> but I think I, you know, as a poet, I'm also very cognizant of the reader and really wanting to give them enough of a way in, but also enough mystery that it was worth their time. So mm -hmm. I think the the story really got to where I wanted it to be. And the fun thing was, I you know, it's 25 years, like 25 year younger Tamsin that wrote this story and it right. still feels like I could have written it from scratch today, yeah. uh, which is kind of great. And so uh, I I mean, it was really my first foray into fiction and took a long time, <laughs> but I, I would love to do a sequel. So I'm already thinking about some of the characters who were 
supporting or minor characters, wouldn't it be fun to take them and um, give them a new plot to 